such a powerful song. Thank you, Ed and Choir. Take your Bibles yet again, and this time find Matthew chapter 9 for me. Matthew chapter 9. Most of us have some special object in our home that is really important to us and may be fragile. You know, that's the one that you tell the kids and the grandkids, now look, but don't touch, all right? You know, that's the one I'm talking about. Uh, maybe it was a family heirloom. Maybe it's something that has been handed down from generations. story here just last week, week before last now, uh, that I think you'll find interesting. Mommy was busy in the kitchen, and her daughter was playing in another room. And then the little girl called out, Mommy, you know that vase in the china cabinet? The one that's been handed down from generation to generation? Mom said, yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but this generation dropped it. <laughs> that reminded me of a sadness, I think our generation has dropped an heirloom. I think we've had handed down to us an incredible passion to see lost men and women come to faith in Christ. The generations before us, this is what drove them and drove them powerfully. We do many things right in the building of the kingdom. But I think the church in America today has lost that heirloom. We've dropped that heirloom in Jesus Christ. I sense the Lord is calling upon us to return to that passion, to return to that basics of our Christian faith. You know, before COVID hit, that's exactly what we were doing. We began a very purposeful, intentional desire to reach out and to be aware of those who are lost around us, to be praying for them, to be looking for opportunities, to have gospel conversations. And God was blessing, blessing phenomenally. We had more people coming to church, more people coming to faith in Christ, and we were just riding an incredible cloud, knowing we were in the center of what God wanted us to be doing, and he was blessing that. And then, bam, COVID hit, everything shut down. As we have begun to open our doors yet again, as we have begun to, to this whole time we've been reaching out in ministry, but opening our doors to, to public worship such as we're in today, we have been seeing the harvest is still there. And the numbers are staggering. God is bringing us such an incredible opportunity. But for us, there needs to be a fresh heart shift. There needs to be a fresh refocusing of who we are and what we're about, that we can act obediently and responsibly with the incredible influx that God is bringing to us. I'm going to talk more about that a little later. But that required heart shift is something that Jesus was speaking to the disciples about here in Matthew chapter 9. So if you're there in your Bible, find verse 35. Find verse 35. And I want to ask you to, 
to just follow along, and it's going to be on the overhead here as well. So let's just, let's just read along in this together. And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That's what he was doing. But now notice this. And when he saw the crowds, now there's that word again that we saw earlier in 1414. He saw the crowds, underline that little word. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Underline that word, compassion. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I really feel that as we read this passage, we have our fingers on the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. We can sense the heart of God. Lord, may that minister to our hearts here today. We need that heart shift. We need that refocusing of our eyes to see as you see and feel as you feel and then move as you moved. Let it be so. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. There are three thoughts I want us to pursue this morning. The first one is this. Jesus saw the lostness in people. Jesus saw the lostness in people. You and I will never be the followers of Christ that he wants us to be until we see this world through his eyes. Until we, we can't just quietly and emotionlessly, whatever, without emotion, pass by people that are hurting, people wandering aimlessly. Matthew recorded here that Jesus saw the crowd. The first thing, he noticed them. He was aware of them. And when he saw them, what he saw was something moved within him. His heart turned over. He saw them. Before, before he taught in their synagogues, he saw them and had compassion on them. Before he preached the gospel to them, he saw them and had compassion on them. Before he healed them, he saw them and had compassion on them. He saw the multitudes. He saw those people who were lost and hurting and wandering and harassed and helpless. He saw them. He was moved because the Scripture says they were harassed and helpless. They were, they, they were despondent. They, they were wandering aimlessly. Why? Why? It was not because of the Roman occupation. At this time, religion was booming in the Holy Land. People were coming to the temple in staggering numbers. 
There were synagogues in every little town. There were thousands of leaders passing on the great tradition. 6,000 Pharisees who taught daily the keeping of all the minute laws of God. 20,000 lower priests that administered all of these same. There was an abundance of religion, but people were hungry. They weren't getting what they needed. They were desperately hearing and listening for a, a message from God. It had been 400 years since a prophet had come and spoke. And there was word about a man out in the wilderness down by the Jordan River who was proclaiming a fiery message. Many went down to hear him. And he was proclaiming, there's one that's coming after me, and I'm not worthy to unlatch or carry his sandals. And He's the one that's going to baptize you. He's the one that I'm sent to proclaim. But that was the only voice. You know, we're not so different today. Drive even around our little community. There's a church nearly on every corner. The airways and the internet filled with all kinds of religious programs. And yet our nation is more lost today than it's ever been. The influence of Christianity is shriveling. And people are hungrier than they've ever, ever been, especially right now. Coming off of this COVID scare, people are beginning to venture out of their homes. They've been searching for answers. They have been inundating our website. I, I, can't, I can't begin to tell you the power that that media has had. This past weekend with our Thursday and Friday services, here in our building we had just under 400 people, which is wonderful. But 1,600 people were at that online. 1,600! People are hungry. They're seeking because they realize this has left them so lost and disoriented. problem is we're not aware. We don't see lost men and women, boys and girls around us. We're not aware of them. It's like they're invisible to us. If I were to hand out index cards right now and ask you to list five people that you have a meaningful relationship that you're praying for and working hard to share the gospel with. If statistics hold true, only 10% of you would be able to fill out that card. Because we're not aware. We don't see them. We don't see them as the lost and hurting and aimless and helpless sheep without a shepherd. 
that they are. God is bringing the harvest to our doorstep. He's raising up a group of people who have answers to the hurting and the hopelessness in our world. But first, we have to see as he saw, to be aware of the lostness. And, and let me just say this. If you see them, are you moved by that lostness? I fear there's become a callousness over our souls. When was the last time you wept over a lost friend or relative? When was the last time you couldn't sleep because you were worried for their soul? Would you agree with me that there has grown some kind of callousness there? And we need to ask God, God, open our eyes that we can see as you saw. Second thought. Jesus felt the lostness. Of people. He saw them, and, and the scripture says here he was moved with compassion. Can I tell you a little bit about a Greek word right here? This is an ugly sounding word. I've tried several different ways to pronounce it, went to several different uh, sources, and it's, there's just not a, it's just not a pretty sounding word. Splankmitsomai. I'm kind of surprised I even got to say it myself. Splanknitsomai is built off of the, the root word uh, uh, splankna. And it means your guts. This is where we get the English word spleen from. It's this old Greek word, splankna. It's, it's our entrails, if you please, if I offended you by telling you your guts. When Judas fell headlong after he had betrayed the Lord, and it says his entrails spilled out. That's splankna. That's the word. Splanknitsomai is being moved within your belly with compassion. Being moved. Now, now we think about the seat of our emotions being the heart. But in the ancient world, that wasn't the case. Uh, the seat of the emotions was in in the belly. I'm here to tell you, it still is. I mean, I, I remember that first date I had with Valeria. And it wasn't my heart that was all upset. It was my stomach that was all upset. She's pretty as she can be, and, this, and, and here I showed up, 140 pounds, cavity between my teeth, hair slicked back, prettiest thing you'd ever seen, I'm here to tell you. But where I was moved, what concerned me was here. I was wondering if I could keep a meal down, you know. This, this is where the, the Greek world saw the seat of the emotions. And, and so this word splanknos, splanknitsomai, means that he was moved deep within his being. He looked out and he saw, and he saw the lostness of people. And he knew that without him as their savior, they were damned and going to hell. And it moved him deeply. In, in your New Testament you have on your lap, 
this word is found 12 times. And every time it's used in relation to Jesus Christ. Every time. It's not used in the Bible anywhere else except as it has to do with Jesus Christ. Here in Matthew uh, 9 and also in Matthew 14, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion and he healed them. When the 5,000 was all gathered together, the Bible says he was moved with compassion and then he, he said to his disciples, you need to feed them. When the leper came to him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. He was moved with compassion and he reached out and he touched him and made him well. When the blind man came to him for healing, the Bible says he was moved with compassion and he healed him. Jesus used it in his parables. He talked about the Good Samaritan and how even though the priest and the Levite didn't stop to help the man, that here this Samaritan was moved with compassion and so he ministered to him. And in one of our most beloved parables, the parable of the prodigal son, the father waiting his eyes on the horizon finally saw the silhouette of his son coming. And he was moved with compassion and he pulled up his robes and he ran to meet his child. Every time the word is found in your New Testament, it has to do with Jesus. One time Paul uses a, a reference to it when he says that, that God wants us to have the compassion of Christ. The splanknitsomai, that we'd be moved. I, I don't understand how we who have the Spirit of Jesus Christ living within us, Holy Spirit abiding within us, how can we be unmoved at the lostness of people around us? We we see lost people and they're acting like lost people act. And we're critical of them. We're not moved that they don't have a shepherd. We see that woman scantily dressed on the street corner in the city. And we're repulsed by her and we know what she's there for and what she's advertising. But are we moved with the compassion that she is without a shepherd? When our politicians and, and, and leaders want to, to change our world by, by some kind of economic plan or other thing like that, uh, we, are we moved in saying only thing that's going to help is Jesus? How can the Spirit of Christ live in me and I not be moved? My guts not roll over. When I see the children pouring in here every Wednesday night, hungering for somebody to love them, somebody to tell them Jesus cares.
he was moved with compassion. He saw the multitude and he was moved with compassion. But here's the third thought. The lostness Jesus saw and the compassion he felt moved him to action. He saw men and women. He was moved and so he taught in their synagogues. He saw them and was moved and so he preached the gospel to them. He saw them and he was moved and so he healed them. He saw them and he was moved and he gave them hope. He saw them and he was moved and he accepted them. He saw them and he was moved and he made them whole. Jesus called his men around him. And he said, look guys, look, the harvest, the harvest is ripe. It's plentiful. He was using that farmer analogy. The farmer knows, okay, now, now it's ready. You've got to harvest now. I'm told that in harvesting grapes, you have just a couple of hours from the time they're at their peak that you have to harvest them. There's an urgency. When the harvest is ready, we've got to hit the fields now. That's what Jesus was talking about. He told his guys, look, the harvest is all out there. And they knew that was his call to them to come and help him. And they did. Each one of them giving their life harvesting the souls of those who were hurting and longing for God. But he said something very interesting, though. To these 12 men that he had called to come and be with him and to follow him and learn of him and do as he did, he said, guys, pray. Pray for the Lord of the harvest. Pray that he would send forth laborers, helpers into this field. Because it's white unto harvest. It's past ready. The time is now. Pray. And the disciples prayed. And God answered. Can I show you their answer? Can I show you God's answer to their prayers? Look around you. Here's the answer to the disciples' prayer. Here's the answer to the disciples' prayer. People who have responded to faith in Jesus Christ. And not just to take something that they can hold on for themselves, but receive something that they can share. God, give us eyes to see and hearts to feel and tears to shed and agony over the lostness of people around us. You are the answer to the disciples' prayer that God would raise up people to go into that harvest. couple things I want to pull this together the first I'm going to ask you this we've got to come to see as Jesus saw we've got to pray God give me 
your eyes. Give me the eyes that will look beyond that person who is serving me or that person who is irritating me or that person who is playing the loud music or whatever and let me see their soul's lostness. And not just to see to where I can smugly say, well, I'm glad I'm not that way no more. but to be moved in the pit of who I am. When I see my neighbor acting a fool and being stupid and silly, rather than being critical, God, may I be moved. He's doing that because he's a lost sheep without a shepherd. When I see someone in the news whose opinions are so violently different from mine. Everything in my natural man rears up and I'm ready to fight. But God, will you give me your compassion? He feels this way because he does not know you. He's lost and he's acting like lost people act. Lost. When you hear that gossiper out in the hallway at church, and everything in you wants to move in just a little bit closer? Will you see that poor soul is wandering aimlessly? They're not following their shepherd. And then, I am not asking you to pray that God would send forth laborers. You are this generation's answer to that prayer. I'm asking you to pray for the next generation behind us. That we won't be the last generation bent on serving God. God is bringing the harvest to First Baptist Church. It's amazing to see. On Wednesday evening now, our average, our average number is 55 children in our children's building over here. Sometimes it's 65 to 70. And Debbie's pulling her hair out because she doesn't have any helpers. COVID devastated our volunteers in the children's department. Many of them have yet have not returned. She has teachers. She needs helpers. Somebody will just sit in the room with the teacher and love on the children and sometimes sit between two of them, all right? God's bringing us the harvest. And their parents are staying for a quick bite of supper. And they're hearing the gospel. Can I tell you about a man? He's not here, so I'll talk about him. A man who has the anointing of God on him right now. His name is Roy Wright. And every Wednesday, he shares the gospel in an innovative, capturing way. And those kids love it. And next Sunday, I'm going to baptize two more of them. 
where, where are the helpers? Where are the helpers? Debbie's gone on vacation this week. She deserves it. She's worked hard for it. When she comes back, I hope she has a line of people or a list of names saying, you can count on me. In our youth department, our average is 65 teenagers. Many times more. Much more than that that gather around Matthew week after week. And let me tell you, half of these kids and half of these teenagers, their parents are not in any church this morning. But their kids are here on Wednesday night. Matthew's got the small group leaders. He's got the teachers who are prepared. But he needs helpers. He needs people who just get in there amongst them and help love on these kids, and their parents are right over here. You know, one of the things God's been doing, we've been trying this for years and years and years, to have Bible studies on Wednesday nights for adults, the parents of those who, who come and bring their kids primarily. Do you know now we have five Bible study groups going on on Wednesday evenings, and most of it's populated by these people who bring their parents? God's bringing the harvest. But do we see them? And do we care? Not if we're satisfied to sit on our pew. We are saying in your face, God, I don't care if you bring the harvest. I will not see lost people the way you do. I will not be moved with compassion. I will be satisfied with my place and my pew and getting my tummy filled by the preacher. Let somebody else do it. I'm retired. I've put in all my years. Let some of these young folks do it. People, they're the ones we're focusing on, trying to bring them to faith in Christ. They're the ones that are bringing us their children. So who are we supposed to have to love on them and lead them if not their elders? Oh, that God would give us the eyes of Christ and the heart of Christ. When, when Jesus told the disciples to pray, the Lord of the harvest, to bring forth laborers. He, he, he wasn't saying that because God's not willing and somehow we've got to pray real hard and, 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 and move his hand and force him to do something. No, he's saying pray the Lord of the harvest because it's the workers who are unwilling. They're satisfied having their tummies full and not being bothered. God, forgive us. God, move in our midst. It's time to do business with God. I don't know what else to say. We will never be the church God wants us to be. We'll never be the followers God wants us to be if we don't see lost people with the way He does and we don't feel their pain. Will you be willing today to ask Jesus, Jesus, do surgery on my eyes.
that I can see the way you see. Do surgery on my heart so I can feel the way you feel and see your kingdom grow. Pray with me. Father God, you are sending the world to our doorsteps. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights. But you're asking us a question, can I trust you? Can I trust you with these families that you've been praying for and asking me to send you? Can I trust you? Can I trust you to love them? Can I trust you to lead them? Can I trust you to care? Can I trust you to pray? God, we have to answer that question individually here today. We've got to decide for ourselves. Will we be counted faithful? Or will we walk away? Thank you, Lord. I want to bless you for bringing the harvest to our door. I, for one, feel compelled. I've got to be where you're moving. I've got to be among those children and those teenagers and those parents. Years and years ago, we were taught in experiencing God to look and see where you're at work and then go join you there. Lord, we see where you're working with families that have children and you're calling us here. You, you, you have filled up this harvest in Union County. In these last 10, 15 years, you have brought incredible numbers of families with children at home to our community. Lord, we want to be faithful harvesters. Some here today may want to just come to the altar and pray. Saying, God, I've been complacent too long. I hear your voice. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll rock a baby. I'll sit between a couple of middle schoolers. I'll go talk with some parents that feel awkward being here in church. I'll do whatever it takes because you're bringing us the harvest. Some may want to join our fellowship today. Lord, you encourage them to come and just be seated on this front row. Tony and Eric will be close by. Others, Lord, may want to ask you to come into their heart and be their sovereign Lord. May they also come and just be seated on our front row and allow us the privilege of leading them to faith in you. This is your time, Holy Spirit. Draw your net as only you can. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.